Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Imagine having two packages stolen from your front porch within a couple of days. Also in this episode, housing and homelessness, landlord-tenant disputes, the top food stories of the year, women reaching new heights in sport, and Santa and Mrs. Claus join the show. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Tis the season for porch pirates as we welcome you back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Yes, Hamilton police asking residents once again to be extra vigilant when ordering Christmas gifts and other items online that are then delivered to your door. And in many cases, those packages are left on the front porches because the homeowner is not home at the time of delivery. And in some cases, the packages are stolen when someone is at home. All the while, a survey from FedEx shows that 28% of Canadians have fallen victim to porch pirates, thieves who go through neighborhoods stealing packages from people's porches. That's up from 24% back in 2021. Joining us now is a Hamilton person who was victimized by porch pirates. Tyler Lee Corkum joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Tyler Lee, good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. So when did this happen? What happened? Um, I'm not exactly sure of the date, but it was probably about a week ago or two weeks ago. Um, I had ordered some things online, uh, through Fanatics. They sell like sports merchandise Mm -hmm. and, um, it was my first time ordering from them. So I was, um, unfamiliar with the, the courier that was going to be delivering. And, um, so it wasn't through like Canada Post or FedEx or any of the big ones. It was called Apple Express. And um, so the first package that was stolen was on a Sunday morning and I was home with my family, but I didn't get like a delivery notification. They didn't email me. They didn't text me. The delivery person didn't even knock. They just left it on my porch. And so then when I went to check the tracking and I noticed it was delivered and I went out to get it, it was gone. Hmm. That was um, like just under two hours it was taken. And then, unfortunately, it happened to me again Monday morning when I was at work. Um, this time, it was through Shein. They sell clothes from, like, China. And the delivery courier is called Uni Uni. Now, they did send me a delivery notification. They texted me, but I was at work. So by the time I viewed it on my break and my mom ran out to grab it, it was gone. That was in about an hour it was stolen. Wow. So what's your recourse? Do you get a refund? How does this work now? Uh, yeah, so initially I felt like really overwhelmed and I didn't know where to start because they were Christmas gifts. Um, but Fanatics was really great. They fully refunded me for both items. And then with Shein, because they're based in China, um, they don't really have like, like a person you can talk to. It's more like online support. Um, but I was able to like submit a claim and I was refunded. Well, so there's some good news there, obviously, but the bad news is, I mean, you don't have the gifts, I guess, under the tree, or at least the ones that you really wanted. Well, I was able to replace them, but um, that's not really the point. Like, the feeling that I had when it happened, I was just, like, devastated. I felt very violated. The fact that it happened twice in almost 24 hours, I felt almost targeted. Like, somebody was watching my house waiting for packages. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's the thing. You feel like you can't ever order anything, I'm guessing, because this, yeah. you know, this happened twice. Yeah, I'm kind of turned off of online shopping. I'm I'm just worried. Um, I know that, like, Canada Post and FedEx, they do a great job of, like, notifying you. Amazon also gives you the option to pick up at, like, a post office. But, like I said, these smaller, um, like, delivery companies, 
they didn't even offer any type of delivery notification. Tyler Lee Corkum is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Hamilton woman victimized not once but twice by porch pirates in just a a matter of days. Did you report this to police? No, I didn't because I feel like there's not much that they can do about it. I mean, I don't have cameras. And even if I did have cameras, some coworkers were telling me, like, they don't really pursue, like, petty theft. Hmm. Is there something rolling around in your mind that you could have done differently? Could you have done anything differently? I don't know. I'm considering getting cameras maybe, but, you know, if the police aren't going to do anything with the footage, then it just all feels really helpless. Like, there's not really much you can do. I mean, people work, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. What is your recommendation or tips or advice to others who are ordering online and, and are, you know, having things delivered right to their front door? Yeah, um, I don't know. I would probably say if you know that it's common in your area um, to try and use the post office service um, or like if couriers could make an effort to not leave it in plain sight or at least knock on the door, like I said, because I was home Sunday morning, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They would have just taken a knock and then I would have answered the door and it never would have happened. Well, we wish you and your family uh, nothing but the best this holiday season. And uh, hopefully the next time you do order something online, uh, those porch pirates are kept at bay. Tyler Lee, thanks for sharing your story with us. (laughs) Thank you. Tyler Lee Corkum, Hamilton woman who fell victim twice to porch pirates in just a matter of days. Unbelievable. Hamilton police have some tips to combat porch pirates. Tip number one, install surveillance cameras at the front door. Whether you have a, del- a doorbell cam or just a, a camera that is on the front porch, that is tip number one. Another one, ask a neighbor to pick up the package from your porch. And, and in Tyler Lee's case, you know, she asked her mom, hey, when the package arrives, can you pick it up? The problem was the package was gone by, by the time her mom got there. Consider an alternate address. And in Tyler Lee's case, she couldn't do so with the two companies she was dealing with. But absolutely, whether it's a post office or send it to your workplace, uh, or send it to a friend's house who you know is going to be home, uh, consider an alternate address. Request the package to be held at the post office, which, yes, is an option for many companies, and request that the package be signed uh, for upon delivery, which makes a lot of sense. If no one is home, if no one answers the knock or the doorbell ring, then that package is going back to uh, whether it's you know Peer Litter, UPS, FedEx, whatever the case is. Uh, Canada Post. So there's some tips uh, to combat porch pirates from Hamilton Police. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. One of the biggest stories of this year, and it will continue in the next year and probably even the year after that, housing and homelessness. It's not expected to change anytime soon. Tom Cooper is the director of the Hamilton Roundtable for Poverty Reduction. He lives this every day, seeing people try to get into better housing or just into housing. Tom, good morning. Welcome back to the show. How are you? Hey, Rick. Good morning. Uh, this is this is a huge issue, and there's so many layers to it, whether it comes from action or inaction from governments, uh, developers, where to build. Um, we can get into the tiny shelters as well. There's there's so much under this umbrella. Is there a next step this city, this province, this country should be taking? Well, the next step probably should have been taken a decade ago, uh, unfortunately, and we are trying to play catch up. The federal government and the provincial government really 
dropped the ball, I think, on affordable housing two or three decades ago and did not continue uh, to build the housing that we would need today. Um, certainly, we're, we're seeing Hamilton is facing one of the highest uh, increases for rents uh, in the country. We're one of the most expensive places to live in all of North America. And, and so we're seeing people who not just on the lower end of the income spectrum, but but what we'd consider middle class uh, in individuals and families unable to afford housing. And it's just been a untenable situation for, for so many people uh, without the, I think, uh, horizon of, of a massive investment in affordable housing. I think you're right. We're going to be looking at uh, two, three, four or five years down the road until until we're able to catch up and, and really find the housing that that people so desperately need. That is a long time, whether it's two or five years or maybe even longer, who knows, depending on, you know, where developers are building, what in fact they are building, because, you know, the the thrust right now, or at least the hope is, uh, because we're building up and within the city and now not outwards because of the urban boundary debate that thankfully has been put to bed, uh, we're going to need these multi-unit dwellings being built, but it's not like they're going to be built in a month. Like this is going to take time. Yeah, exactly. And we we have had you know a number of builds. Unfortunately, the challenge is that a lot of those have been condominiums. And a lot of the people who buy the the investors who buy these condominiums are are holding on to them and not necessarily renting them out. And uh, they see them as a, a long-term investment and, and, and aren't really as interested in being landlords. And and so We've seen a, a, a overall drop in the availability of affordable housing here in Hamilton and right across Ontario, really. And unfortunately, without looking at the opportunities to build rent gear to income housing, social housing, it's 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 going to be massively difficult um, to to find places for for people, particularly on the lower income spectrum. Who need uh, who need a place to stay now? There, there's some amazing initiatives happening right now. Uh, Hamilton is home is is a particularly um, I, I think inspiring one. It's a group of uh, nonprofit housing providers and and supportive housing providers like Indwell and Good Shepherd and YWCA and uh, Sacagawea um, nonprofit housing and and they're they're doing amazing work identifying potential locations to build. Um, and uh, they're reaching out to all levels of government to try to get support. Um, but as, as we've talked about before, Rick, we know, you know, these projects are going to take time. And uh, we, we're seeing more and more people facing homelessness than we've ever seen in this community before. I, I would imagine probably since the Great Depression. And, uh, and, and so we need immediate solutions. And, and that was one of the reasons we, we pushed for this idea around the tiny shelters mm-hmm. and uh, unfortunately ran into too many roadblocks. Tom Cooper is the director of the Hamilton Roundtable for Poverty Reduction, was in on the Hamilton Alliance for Tiny Shelters a project as well that didn't, uh, didn't see the light of day at the end of the day. To that end, we've got a, t- a couple of minutes to talk about it. We've seen it be successful in other communities like, you know, KW, which is uh, maybe the most publicized tiny shelter success story. Do you foresee this coming back in 2024 as an idea? Yeah, we're definitely uh, pushing it forward. And uh, the Hamilton Alliance for Tiny Shelters uh, volunteers, and there's an amazing group of volunteers, are continuing to do work with uh, local 
groups like the drop-in uh, uh, program called The Hub, uh, collecting items and, and distributing it for people who are currently facing homelessness. But the long-term goal is to really find a location that works uh, for both the individuals experiencing homelessness as well as the community. So we're out looking and talking uh, about potential sites and we're continuing to engage uh, the mayor and, and, and city councillors and senior city staff to try to do this as quickly as we can so we can get something up and running in 2024. Really quick, do you think it'll work perhaps in an area that isn't near the downtown, i.e., and I'm not even sure if, if land is available, like near the airport? Yeah, I think that's an interesting idea, Rick, uh, and we have explored that. Uh, one of the projects in, in Waterloo is is right outside the city, mm-hmm. and they have shuttle buses going back and forth to help uh, people who live at the tiny village, tiny cabin village, get to appointments and that sort of thing. We could look at that. We could look at, you know, some north end uh, properties that are more industrial, less residential. Um, there's a couple of other locations as well uh, we have our eye on. So we're we're going to engage the community and, and ensure that uh, they feel comfortable uh, with this idea. But again, this is a human crisis we're facing. Yeah. Um, we need to we need to find solutions. We know the tiny shelters aren't going to be a long term solution, but they can certainly help stabilize people, keep them warm, keep them healthy until those affordable housing uh, projects come online. I very much agree with that. Tom, thanks for your time. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. All the best in 2024. Thanks, Rick. Merry Christmas. Tom Cooper is the director of the Hamilton Roundtable for Poverty Reduction. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, it is one of the biggest issues of 2023. And mind you, this is not going to change next year. It's the housing and the rental crunch. And homes are unaffordable for many. Uh, Increasing rental rates have forced many people to grind their teeth. But there's another side of this dilemma. And that is that some people who are renting are taking advantage of the massive backlog of cases before the landlord-tenant board. The most recent example is playing out in Brampton. And this is happening in cities across the province, across the country, where a landlord says he's out at least $30,000 and climbing because one of his tenants is not only not paying the rent, but refusing to move out. Kayla Andrade is the founder of Ontario Landlords Watch and joins us now on GMH. Kayla, good morning. How are you? Good, good, Rick. How are you? I'm okay. Uh, landlords, especially in this case with this individual in Brampton, not so much. I mean, it's it's definitely a scary time for tenants, right? They're they're trying to find a place to live. Those rental rates are going up, but you know, it's equally as troubling for many honest landlords. Give us a glimpse of what you've seen transpire over the last twelve months. Actually, this has been going on for a lot longer. The, okay. the the issues that the landlord and tenant board has had over over the years is just obviously getting worse. Uh, they keep throwing everything that they have at the landlord and tenant board, even six point five million dollars, and we're still seeing a backlog of fifty three thousand applications at the landlord and tenant board. And these are for non payment rent applications. Most of them uh, are the number one application at the board is for non payment rent, and we do see a lot of abuse that's coming, just like we're. We're doing this this segment right now talking about it we're educating more tenants that are borderline you know wanting to take advantage of the system understanding that hey if we can go 12 months or longer without paying rent let's do it 
And so this is where we have to put proper consequences in place uh, to deal with tenants who are abusing the system, just like we have consequences in place to deal with bad landlords. What are those consequences right now? I mean, in this case, what recourse does this particular landlord have? Well, one, he could go ahead and, you know, put that debt into a collection agency so he can report it to uh, front lobby so that you can have it put onto the tenant's credit report. But by then it's like, it's like, what is that going to do? You know, you have to get an order in order to file at small claims court to try to garnish that tenant's wages if they have wages that are able to be garnished. If not, the landlord is not able to collect that unpaid rent. But for tenants, on the other hand, if they do see that a tenant, a landlord is not doing maintenance or if the landlord's trying to kick them out unlawfully, there is those punishments of fines to the landlords. And there is the housing enforcement unit with the Ministry of Housing that can step in or for maintenance issues, it's property standards with your city. But when it comes down to non-payment of rent and tenants abusing the system, we have to have put some, like if you go ahead, Rick, and steal some gas, what will happen to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> You're going to get a fraud charge. You're, you're going to get a theft charge uh, because you're, you're actually going and stealing $100 worth of gas. But we see people who are stealing $30,000 plus because I've seen a lot higher in rental arrears and nothing has happened to them. So we need to put proper consequences in place to defer these tenants from taking advantage of the system because what's happening is that we're losing our supply as each tenant is abusing each landlord. We're losing more housing supply that we can't afford to lose. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Kayla Andrade, the founder of Ontario Landlords Watch. You can get a bunch more information on their website, ontariolandlordswatch.com. Um, hearing stories like this one, which is one of many, as you as you mentioned, I can't imagine many homeowners right now are going to want to rent out their basement or rent out a room in their home. I mean, how do you get the tenant to leave? It's clearly not easy at all. It's impossible. No, and, and if you look at what's happened, it feels like the government with their rules and, pro- and housing policies and how poorly written they are is that they've, they've put the private housing providers as a social agency for the government with no compensation. And this is what's going to defer people from wanting to get into the rental industry or want to come into the province of Ontario, because Ontario and BC is actually the worst in all of Canada when it comes down to having fair, timely access to justice. And even with the similar changes at the landlord and tenant board that they're trying to make, it's not enough. We have to look at different process that is going to be uh, reevaluate, such as non-payment of rent applications and personal use applications. We have to start looking at a different way to have that in a written format versus having a full-on hearing. Because even if he gets to the hearing and has this, hey, tenant is in in the arrears of $30,000, the tenant can go ahead and delay that hearing because of whatever reason, or they can get the order and they can still apply to the landlord and tenant board for a stay, which they can be waiting another seven months for the stay. And then you have to wait at least minimum 30 days before you can get an order. And that order, you need to apply for the sheriff. And then there's a wait time for the sheriff to come to do an eviction. So it's not just the board in itself. You now have to look at the the, the, the order and then the sheriff. So the whole process in itself needs to be reevaluated, needs to be revamped, an overhaul needs to be done. And we need to get the proper people at uh, the table with the elected officials in order to do that. But right now they don't have the, the this roundtable discussion. They don't have a proper task force. They don't have a task force at the landlord and tenant board uh, to oversee their t- typical changes of what they're doing. But a lot of this is is just, uh, 
you know, making landlords a social agency for the government so that that pressure is not on the municipalities of the province to provide that housing. And it seems like we're light years away from that change happening because this change is moving at a at a snail's pace. And meanwhile, landlords are out there being literally victimized by tenants who don't want to pay and don't want to leave. Well, maybe we should start looking at privatizing of the landlord and tenant board. You know, that's something where if you if you look at privatization to hold someone accountable, because right now with the landlord and tenant board, we can't hold anybody accountable. The land, uh, the Ontario Ombudsman is still receiving reports of how backlogged the landlord and tenant board and the process in it in itself. And and they put their recommendations, 61 recommendations to the elected officials and the landlord and tenant board is trying to adapt some of those recommendations. But in reality, it's is that we need something bigger, something bigger. We have just like as many rental units have came to the market. It's the board is not. Um, it's not prepared to to deal with that overload of what's happening. And as interest rates are rising, the cost of living is going up. That is now putting more pressure and more of a flow to the landlord and tenant board. And they're not going to be able to keep up if they don't change the way that they're handling the the brut of, of their applications that are coming to them. There's all kinds of wrong with this story, that is for sure. And it's one that's not going to go away in 2024 or anytime soon. Kayla, thank you so much for the time. Uh, happy holidays as well. You too, Rick. Thanks so so much for having me. Kayla Andre, the founder of Ontario Landlords Watch. And yeah, as I mentioned, this is not going to go away anytime soon. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It wasn't a very merry time when you were out at the grocery store this year because food prices again were up, up and up. And today we hear from the food professor who shares his list of the top food stories of 2023. His name is Sylvain Charlebois. He's the professor of food distribution and policy and the director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton. Sylvain, good morning. How are you today? Good morning. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm looking at this top 10 list of the top food stories of 2023. And yeah, we've all been impacted by these, including number 10, the Greenbelt scandal. Why is this a top food story for this year? Well, I was shocked to see farmland management uh, uh, become a headliner (laughs) this year. I mean, when... When was the last time you actually heard about farmland management or farmland protection? Uh, the Greenbelt scandal really got people to think about uh, green spaces and, and farmland in general. I know it was a major scandal in Ontario, but it did make headlines across the country. And, uh, you know, the Ford government lost a couple of uh, cabinet ministers along the way, had to reverse its decision. So it really... And, of course, when you think about farmland, you have to think about food security. So it it is somewhat related to food. In at number nine was the grocer code of conduct that was recently announced. Number eight, the milk dumping viral video and the baby formula shortages, two issues that uh, a lot of parents for sure had to deal with. In at number seven, this was an interesting one, the gene editing that was approved in Canada. Talk to us about gene editing. Yeah, so it, it wasn't really a headliner, but I, I think it was an important decision made by, by Health Canada and, and Ag Canada this year. So gene editing basically is not uh, genetic engineering. It's about tweaking uh, plants' uh, DNA in order for plants to, uh, to deal with climate change. Uh, if you want to enhance the nutritional value of certain crops, you can do that. Uh, not by altering the uh, DNA composition, but you just basically tweak things around uh, and you're allowing 
Hey, it's all about uh, management and in, and increasing uh, our agriculture's performance. So it's it's all about food security. Uh, it's about dealing with climate change as well. So you can basically grow a lot of things in in extreme weather conditions. So it's all good news. And at number six in the Food Professor's Top Food Stories of 2023, the lab-grown meat that is now approved in the U.S. At number five, the record-breaking fine in the bread pricing scandal. And this was a huge scandal. Oh, yeah. $50 million paid by Canada Bread. So the third company um, basically admitting that they were part of this bread price-fixing scandal uh, six years ago, Loblaws admitted guilt and offered us 25 bucks, uh, and we didn't hear anything since uh, until this year with uh, with the 50 million dollar fine. So hopefully, I mean, there's st- the investigation is still ongoing after eight years. Uh, Walmart, Giant Tiger, uh, Metro, and Sobeys are still under investigation. We're going to discuss each of the uh, the top five on the Food Professor's Top Food Stories of 2023. In at number four, shrinkflation and skimpflation. We saw more of that this year. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Actually, well, these these practices of are quite common in the industry, but this year, because of food prices, people started to zero in on some of the things that really annoyed them. Shrinkflation is about reducing quantities while keeping same prices. People saw a lot of products, including the infamous Kraft mac and cheese. Uh, that was reduced this year, and a lot of people were upset by that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, skimflation is about replacing ingredients with cheaper ones like chocolate, Instead of using real chocolate, you'll use uh, an artificial ingredient. A lot of people just don't like that. Uh, And this year, it just became uh, a topic of discussion for a lot of people. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Sylvain Charlebaugh, the director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University, and the food professor is out with his top food stories of 2023. Number three, the high-profile strikes in the food industry. This has this had a major impact. Lots of uh, things have happened. I mean, a lot of companies were impacted by labor disputes. Employees wanted to be uh, voiced, uh, wanted to... Uh, be heard and uh, and rightly so. A lot of a lot of employees uh, who work in the food industry don't earn a whole lot, and I think a lot of employees want to capitalize on on um, the, the the political capital that they had. A lot of people do care about employees now, and uh, so dozens of companies actually were impacted by labor disputes. What's really unique about 2023 is that. Most of these labor disputes actually were quite lengthy compared to past years. And the other thing is that union leadership uh, was uh, was often undermined by members, members turning down agreements. Uh, so there were several votes uh, to actually end labor disputes in 2023. And I can think of, uh, you know, the metro situation in Toronto, for example, and the St. Lawrence Seaway situation as well, which impacted uh, Canada's logistics uh, for a while. Number two, the competing necessities of life, the war between paying for shelter and paying for food. And what you found is that the average Canadian spent about 2 to 4% less on food for a significant amount of time this year, basically between April and September. And for the sake of time, we'll ship off, ship off to number one, the profiteering blame game. How did that become the number one food story of 2023? Oh, it, it's the the, the finger pointing, the, 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 
the useless finger pointing, um, whether it's by politicians or experts pointing fingers at grocers or processors. And of course, within the industry, uh, grocers were pointing fingers at suppliers and vice versa. Uh, I, I think Canadians don't care, but it really, because of inflation, because of higher food prices, that blame game just continued on forever. People don't care about who's to blame. They just want affordable food. So, uh, and I think that was that's, that was the number one story because it really didn't lead to a whole lot of things, uh, including Ottawa's attempt to stabilize prices. If you look at the recent data, it really didn't happen. Absolutely. Great top 10 list from the Food Professor. Top stories of 2023. Sylvain, thank you so much for your time. Merry Christmas. All the best in the new year. All right. Happy holidays. Sylvain Charlebois is the Food Professor, a Professor of Food Distribution and Policy and the Director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. What a year it was for women in sports. From the birth of a new professional women's hockey league to a final farewell, at least on the international stage, for Canadian soccer superstar Christine St. Clair 2023 was a wow kind of year for women in sport. And here to talk about it is the CEO for Canadian Women and Sport, Alison Sandmeyer-Graves. Alison, good morning. How are you? I'm great. Good morning to you, too. Is there, and, and there's many more things we're going to get into, but is there one, one happening, one occurrence, one championship, one moment that sticks out to you as a wow moment of 2023? Oh, my gosh. Well, I have to say I was in Vancouver for Christine Sinclair's final game <laughs> Uh, with Team Canada, and it was pretty special. Uh, it's one I won't soon forget. The The crowd just was showing her so much love. I mean, they won, which is always exciting. And uh, yeah, that was a real highlight for me. She, and you know what, I was going to say she can be described as the Wayne Gretzky of women's soccer, but I'm, I'm going to erase that and say she's the Christine Sinclair of soccer because she's the all-time international goal-scoring leader, who carried the torch for this country for the better part of two decades on the pitch. And and what a phenomenal person and role model for young girls and women to aspire to become, whether it's soccer or whatever they get into. Absolutely. I think she really changed the face of soccer in this country in many respects. And she's so humble about it all. She doesn't ever want the spotlight, but... Uh, but truly, she is a standout uh, in the history of sport in Canada. And uh, we're really excited to see what she does next. Obviously, still playing with her professional team in the United States, but mm-hmm. uh, really speaking up loudly in support of the need for a domestic professional league for women in Canada, uh, which, of course, is led by Diana Matheson, her former teammate through Project 8. So uh, we have not heard the last of Christine Sinclair, and I think she's um, she's going to do some interesting things things in her next chapter. Absolutely. Diana Matheson was a guest of ours on the show a couple of weeks ago and had uh, great things to say, of course, about her former teammate as well. And I don't want to focus too much on soccer, but there was also a momentous occasion in terms of not only the Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand, but uh, fighting for that pay equity that Christine Sinclair was at the forefront of, that many people within uh, the women's team were fighting for that equality. Are, Are we close to getting there? Are we nearly there? Well, I can't speak to the specifics within Canada soccer and the conversations they're having with their players, but I will say that 
the fact that these conversations are happening, the fact that they're happening in a much more serious uh, way, I think, uh, across many sports than, a, than has been in the past, is really a sign of progress within women's sport. Uh, for a long time, women have been fighting for equity in this country, that, you know, opportunities to play at all, but also um, equitable conditions, equitable support, investment, visibility for sport. And we're seeing the star of women's sport rise in so many respects, but there are still some significant hurdles to get through. And pay equity and equity of, of uh, support and conditions at the national level is certainly one of them. And it sets the tone for a lot of other things in this country. So we're really keen, I think, like others, to see this resolved and to see it resolved in a way that really sets the women up fairly for the future in their sport. Got about a minute just to talk about key leadership roles across Canadian sports, whether it's the Professional Women's Soccer League. You mentioned Project 8 with Diana Matheson, um, Cassie Campbell-Pascal, now a special advisor to the PWHL. We're seeing women achieve great things in what has normally been a male-dominated um, uh, sporting sense, even in the terms of you know builders and leaders uh, in the boardrooms. That's great to see. It absolutely is. I mean, it's going to make sport better, really. When you have diversity of leadership, uh, you're getting access to more of Canada's talent and just better outcomes. The research tells us this time and time again. Um, and what's really interesting is, as you mentioned, seeing women just take the reins and say, okay, we're going to build this for ourselves. We're going to build this for everyone uh, and really disrupt the the norms or the status quo in the space. And so, you know, you have to tip your hat to folks like Jaina Hefford, who brought about the PWHL after many years. Um, and certainly uh, folks like, you know, Catherine Henderson, who took over at Hockey Canada in a moment of real turmoil for the organization. And we're wishing her the best and the work that she's doing there. So, you know, women have a lot to contribute and they have for many years. And I think the more we see women in these leadership roles and pushing pushing sport forward in some really important ways, um, I think the more we're all going to benefit from it. I'm really looking forward to seeing what is next. Allison, thanks for spending some time with us this morning. Happy holidays and all the best in the new year. Happy holidays to you too. Allison Sanmara Graves, the CEO of Canadian Women and Sport, a banner year in 2023. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Just a few days from now, the jolly old elf himself will be scrambling down your chimney, getting all the toys delivered to all the good boys. You better be on the good list. The good girls, you better be on the good list. All the good ones will be rewarded with a a big or a small or... Very expensive present. <laughs> it depends on how good you were, I guess. Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus joining us now on Ooh. Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Good morning, Santa and Mrs. Claus. How are you? Good morning. Good morning, Rick. How are you? Well, oh, I'm... Sorry, I already know how you are because I'm watching you. <laughs> I know. I was going to say, you should know of all people how I am. Ho, 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 ho. I'm glad you've been such a good boy, Rick. Well, I was up until this morning. I have to be honest, Santa, because producer Alicia's mom brought in a cake. It's the cake of all cakes. It was in the shape of your face, hat and all, beer. It was amazing. And I unfortunately had to carve it up just to eat it. So I apologize. It was it was so delicious, though. 
Don't what? you be giving the elves any ideas to fancy cakes. <laughs> I just make plain cookies. <laughs> Santa, how is the North Pole treating you and Mrs. Claus these days? Well, the North Pole is so great. It's so magical up there, Rick. And we're so busy. The elves are going crazy because we've got so many um, deadlines to meet. And we haven't even started packing our sleigh yet. Oh, my gosh. But Everything is all set and ready to go. It, we know that this is the busiest shopping weekend of the year, at least the busiest week. Is this also the busiest toy-making weekend, or are all the toys already made? <laughs> this is so busy up there because you know how many children change their minds at the last <laughs> second, and then we have to make new toys just to make sure we get all the right toys to all the children? We are so busy. Oh, I can imagine Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus joining us here to spread some Christmas cheer on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Mrs. Claus, we know that this is also a stressful time of the year for Santa and all the elves and probably yourself dealing with all these. Is is cookies the secret to making it all go according to plan? Actually, this year the secret are candy canes because reindeer, believe it or not, love candy canes hmm. and I make them just for the treat before they head off with Santa on the sleigh on Christmas Eve. Last year, I made them chocolates, and that was a big mistake because chocolates make reindeer toot. (laughs) And Santa, he followed the reindeer all around the world last year, and he came home and he said, Mama, never again give them chocolates before we... Go off in the sleigh. So I'm making them candy canes this year. Hundreds and hundreds of candy canes. That is a good call. Was there some extra propulsion, though, to Santa's sleigh because of these chocolate candy canes? (laughs) Well, last year it it was a good news, a bad news kind of thing. In the fog, (laughs) not so good. (laughs) In the clear weather, it was fine. But the candy canes will make them smell nice and minty fresh. That is good. Yeah, (laughs) Last year might have contributed to the fog that Santa had to deal with. (laughs) Or with Santa Claus. (laughs) Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus here on a Friday edition of Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Santa, the weather in Hamilton on Christmas Day is supposed to be 9 degrees. Is there any problem with that in terms of flying the sleigh? Oh, Rick, you know that we have no problem going all over the world, whether it be snowy or now we go down to the warmer weather in the deep south. So, my deer can go anywhere. They're professionally able to land on any rooftop, rain, sleet, snow, or sunshine. Oh, oh, oh that would be moonshine. <laughs> <laughs> Santa, uh, you, you have a tremendous responsibility, as we know. Mrs. Claus does as well. She's got to get you ready for the big day, too. But I want to know. I, I know the secret has to be you know, shared with us. Who is responsible for polishing Rudolph's nose? Because if you get into those foggy situations, I mean, that's got to be shiny. Well... I know that my responsibilities are toys. Mrs. Claus, her job is to take care of the elves and the reindeer and keep everybody healthy. So we leave all the special treatment to uh, Mrs. Claus and the reindeer. So Rudolph and Mrs. Claus are best of buds. Mrs. Claus, what are you doing when Santa is traveling the world? Oh, well, there's a lot of cleanup to do in the in the 
toy factory. So I'm getting the elf doll organized for that and getting the barn ready for the reindeer to come back. But really, we start making hot chocolate and doing a little celebration. And then when Santa comes back, we have a big celebration party for everybody's hard work. So it's, it's yeah, because all the elves and the shelves, they come back <laughs> and up north. And we just celebrate for 24 hours and then we rest. And then we start all over again. I was thinking, you know, while Santa's away, you're just hanging around the North Pole, putting your feet up, watching Netflix. Oh, no, no, no. That happens the week after. <laughs> There's still lots of work to do. And I have to keep everybody healthy. So my job kind of is never done in the kitchen. Well, that is true. And you got to keep Santa on his toes as well. Santa, yep. uh, in terms of post-Christmas plans, are you vacationing every anywhere? Where? What are you up to? Oh, all the places that I visit and deliver toys, I look at spots that I want to go back to. So I think I've, I'm going to find a nice beach and get out into a disguise so no one will recognize me so I can relax for at least a couple of weeks. And it might be a lot warmer than where we are in the North Pole. That's a good plan. Do you trim the beard just, you know, to get that overall tan? Oh, I, by magic, it all goes away. Wow. All right. And then, as soon as I'm back in the North Pole, boom, it's back. (laughs) (laughs) We have uh, 30 seconds for Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus to spread some final Christmas cheer. A message to our listeners here on 900 CHML. We wish everybody a very, very Merry Christmas. And thank you for supporting us and our charitable donations to Hamilton Charities. We did this through Santa for Charity, and that four is the number four, dot com. We had a wonderfully successful year this year. Thank you to everybody in Hamilton. Yes, and everyone have a safe and happy holiday. Merry Christmas to everybody. And you've got to be good all year. Ho, 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 ho. Absolutely. Santa Claus, Mrs. Claus, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and we'll chat with you a year from now. One year from now, I'll be watching you. We look forward to that, Rick, (laughs) and you be a good boy. I will try my best. (laughs) Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus here on GMH. Again, you can contribute online. Santa, the number four, Santa4Charity.com. They got a busy weekend this weekend for sure. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.